three items that are essential. And we've used a tripod illustration. Tripod obviously has three legs, and holding or on the top would be a healthy church. And that involves shepherding, which we considered a number of weeks ago, body life for one another's. We considered last week, and this morning we want to reflect on worship, and that's the reason for preaching first and then responding to some items as we go on with the service. And as we reflect on worship, just listen as I read a number of passages without comment. In Revelation 4, 9 through 11, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor and thanks to the one who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Then in Revelation five thirteen and 14, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. In Revelation chapter 7, verses 11 and 12, all the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength. Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. In Revelation chapter 11, verses 16 through 18, And the 24 elders who were seated on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations are angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints and those who revere your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Worship of God and of Christ is essential for a healthy local church, for a healthy Christian family, healthy individual believers. So a couple of questions, not looking for a response. What is worship? If you had to define worship, how would you define it? What items seem to be essential in worship as we consider Scripture? What should worship begin with, continue with, and end with? What is God's standard for worship? What does worship do to a local church, to a family, to an individual? I'm going to look at several passages in relation to 
worship. We'll turn first of all to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, we know that God has created Adam and Eve, given them instructions as they're in the garden. We know that the tempter came and tempted Adam and Eve, and they chose to yield to temptation. And the, the curse comes upon Adam, upon Eve, and upon the serpent, and they are no longer in the garden. But in chapter 4, some time has passed when we get to chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 1, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he does not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he responded. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What you have done, or what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse, driven from from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And just briefly in this passage, we have... Cain and Abel, and apparently they knew they had to bring something in worship to God. I think that's assumed in the passage. Cain brought from the fruit of the field, Abel brought from the flocks. We know that Abel's offering was accepted, but Cain's was not accepted. We know according to Scripture, Hebrews 11 and verse 4, that Abel brought his offering in faith. The faith chapter, Abel was listed as responding in faith. We know Cain's offering was rejected. And according to Jude 11, Cain would have followed, it's called the way of Cain in Jude 11. And that seems to be, as you study the context of Jude, a self-made worship. Cain determining, here's how I want to worship God. Abel being willing to follow what God had prescribed by faith. The text does not say specifically why Cain's offering was rejected. It doesn't say because there was no blood sacrifice, but his offering was 
rejected and seems to have something to do with the heart. So because of Abel's being accepted and Cain's rejected, the text says, Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And it's interesting, again, as God pursued Adam and Eve after their sin, we find that he pursues Cain after his offering is rejected. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? An opportunity for Cain to respond. If you do what is right, the Lord says, you will, will you not be accepted? But if you do not right, do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. An opportunity for Cain to respond and say, okay, God, I'm wrong. I want to respond. I want to shift gears. But we know that Cain does not respond that way. Instead, he kills his brother. Now, I find it interesting that the first murder took place in the context of worship. Just interesting. One person's offering being accepted, the other not accepted. Let's go to another passage, to Psalm 115. Psalm 115. We'll begin the reading with verse 1, Psalm 115 and verse 1. Now to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does what pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold, made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but they cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but they cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but they cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. And then he goes on in the balance of the psalm to give reason for worshiping the Lord. O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. And again, goes on to give reason for worship. But I want you to notice that he specifically says, but their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men. Here we have people constructing an idol that they're going to bow down and worship. These idols... Can't speak, even though they have mouths. Eyes can't see. Ears can't hear. Noses can't smell. Hands they can't feel. Feet, but they can't walk. Nor they can, can they utter a sound. But notice in verse 8. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in him. Israel, there's nations, there's people that have made idols. And those who make them will become like them. 
for Israel's worship, the Lord was not made. He's creator, far beyond the nation of Israel. And the exhortation to worship the Lord and gives reason for worshiping the Lord. But idols do have an impact. Now let's go to another passage in Acts chapter 2. Fair amount of worship in Acts, but in Acts 2 particularly, we find in Acts 1 the day of Pentecost taking place. And then we find that God blesses the church. And, you know, God adds to the church. And Peter addresses the crowd in chapter 2 after the Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost. And let's pick up with verse 42. They, the believers in what we would call the early church, devoted themselves to apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The early church clearly stated they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That would be the teaching of God's word as it related to the apostles, as they would have shared the Old Testament and then went beyond that, to Christ, to fellowship. That would tie in with the one another's we discussed last week, tied in with being the body, body life. The breaking of bread would tie in with communion, the Lord's Supper, and the prayer, the body praying together. And what that exactly looked out looked like, We can't be dogmatic, but apparently they did meet in homes. They had meals together, and they would have been praying together. We won't turn to these other passages, but 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, 1 Timothy, Hebrews 10, Revelation 4 and 5, refer to worship, and worship again is assumed in many other passages of Scripture. In the book of Revelation, we think of future events in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation would be the unveiling of Christ. And worship is from Revelation 1 through the end of chapter 22. But worship. What does worship mean? We talk about worship. The word involves to bow down in the Old Testament, to lie down, to prostrate oneself. Many times we think of worship, we stand and we praise, and that is not wrong. But think about worship as kneeling 
prostrating or just lying down with your face to the ground. Old Testament, what worship means. In the New Testament, it means to bow down in adoration, to fall on the knees, prostration, to stand in awe. Worship assumes an object. In this case, we're dealing with God. We're dealing with Jesus Christ. Worship involves a standard. And I think that's pretty obvious in Genesis chapter 4. It's pretty obvious as you look at Israel's worship, particularly in Leviticus, where God gave some very detailed plans for worship for the nation of Israel. You find in John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. He talks about worshiping in spirit and truth. And that communicates some standard. In the book of Revelation, we find some standard involved as it relates to worship. And we're not delving into necessarily the standards at this point in time. Worship has relationships written all over it both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the relationship to God and to Christ, and also relationships to one another. The way we worship God, the way we worship Christ, involves relationships. That's why body life is so important, how we relate to one another. but also how we relate to God and Christ and obedience and a sensitivity to him. Worship is giving primarily, not merely receiving. Giving, bringing to God our worship. It's a response to God Response to who God is and grace expressed in Christ. We're responding to God and who he is and grace expressed in Christ. Some essentials in worship, and we didn't cover all the passages, but prayer is essential. And as you read through the New Testament, as well as in the Old Testament, prayer seems to involve being led by leaders for the flock. Leaders praying, but not limited to that, but prayer. Corporate prayer is vital. It forms us. Teaching, training, Equipping the ministry of God's Word, whether from the Old Testament or the New Testament. Worship, the Lord's Supper, what we call communion, remembering Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Body life seems to be involved in worship, but body life doesn't seem to take well, as we discussed last week, take place well in a large group. 
caring for one another, ministering to one another. Giving in response to God's grace. For Israel, they would have brought of their flock, of their crops. Paul writes to Corinthians in First and Second Corinthians and talks about giving, and that would have involved finances. And then singing. And I say, by the congregation. I'm not saying it's wrong for someone to sing individually, but the focus of corporate worship is corporate singing. Singing being important and vital. And some of us may say, well, I don't sing well. Sing. I'm going to get others off key. Sing. Others may say, I sing very well. Sing. If we are willing to be involved in corporate singing, it influences us. And if we're not careful in the world in which we live today, we tend to view singing as someone ministering to us rather than us bringing our worship to God corporately. And I think it's important to make that distinction because we'll listen to the radio. Nothing wrong with that. We'll go to a concert, and that's fine. But worship as a body is something we do corporately, together. Again, as you study scripture, that seems to, I'm losing my piece here, seems to have a profound impact as it relates to worship. Just a couple other comments that will continue in worship. Worship begins with, continues with, and ends with a passion for God's glory. It's a concern about God's glory, a knowledge, an understanding, and experiencing of the Lord and of Christ is central, it's foundational to worship. Worship is not coming and parking and saying, entertain me. Worship is participation by the body, active listening, giving, interacting with others, singing as we pray, being attentive and praying collectively. So I go back to my questions at the beginning. What is worship? To bow, to prostrate oneself. At least the heart. If not physically. It would be interesting to come some Sunday and say, we're not going to have any pews this morning. We're going to stand for a while. Now we're going to pray and we all lie on the floor. I don't know if you have observed, if you have traveled in airports, at certain times of the day, you will see some people prostrate themselves 
in their form of worship. Humbling themselves. What items are essential in worship? In light of scripture, prayer, God's word, Lord's Supper, giving, singing, body life. What does worship begin with, continue with, and end with? A passion for God's glory. What is God's standard for worship? I think he begins with a heart in Genesis 4. And that continues as you go out, go through scripture. What does worship do to a local church? A family, a Christian family to an individual, it molds us. Faithful, consistent corporate worship molds us week after week, month after month, year after year. There's a man I know who has a depth of character. He pursues good relationships, even though there's been struggle and his relationships are along the way, but pursues them. He's respected. He has a consistent life, and his life impacts others. And I've known this man for dozens of years. He's a faithful, consistent, corporate worshiper. It has formed his life, the life of he and his wife, the life of he and his family. And it is forming others. We worship through giving. And as we worship through giving, we give in response to God's grace. Not because we have to, not because anyone twists our arm, but because we want to. Responding to God and who he is and what he has done for us. Let's worship through giving as the ushers come. Ushers?